Hello and welcome back to the Fundraising Bright Spots podcast. This is episode 119. My name's Rob Woods and this is the show for anyone who works in fundraising who wants ideas and maybe a dose of inspiration to help you raise more money and really enjoy your job. This time, if you've ever wondered how charities and not-for-profit organisations can find and build great relationships with influencers to help further their mission, then I hope you're going to find this episode really helpful. Because today I'm sharing an interview I did recently with Paul Katz, who is hugely experienced in this discipline. He's based in New York and has spent the last 18 years through his company Entertain Impact, helping charities and social impact organisations to amplify their reach and their results through campaigns involving celebrities and influencers in the worlds of music, sport, show business and beyond. Paul's written an excellent new book called Good Influence, in which he shares the process that he's developed for finding, reaching and effectively working with influencers. In our chat, he explains his strategy with lots of tips and examples to show you how to apply them for your own organisation. I found Paul's ideas incredibly helpful and I hope that you do too. Paul Katz, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here and to speak to your audience and how we can use influencers to raise some funds and awareness, etc. You're very welcome, Paul. And I just have to start by saying how much I've already enjoyed your book. I mean, I also learned quite a bit from our earlier conversation when we were planning this chat. But just reading through your book, I have not read a book like it for our sector that succeeds in demystifying a topic which many organisations have practiced, but I think many people within a non-profit or charity have never been shown there just is a system, there is a way, it's not a dark art, it's not pure luck, although sometimes luck can obviously help with the hard work, but your book, the thing I like about it is you just show that there are ways of chunking down into a sensible methodology, how to go about working with the celebrities or other influencers to really amplify the impact of our work. Before we get into any of the how, could you just start off, maybe this is the obvious place, in the book you talk about the influencer effect. Mm -hmm. What does that mean to you and why do you think non-profits and charities should really take care and look into it and hopefully use it? Well, the first thing I would say is uh, you don't have to be Harry Potter to do what I do and there's no dark arts to fight against. It's very doable this influencer effect, whether you're a small organization in, you know, an arts community organization in Brighton, or you're a big nonprofit or NGO like the United Nations in New York. So it's doable. You just need the knowledge and the confidence. And that's why I wrote this book, Good Influence, how to engage uh, influencers for purpose and profit, because I think both of them could go hand in hand. To answer your, your question, so I'm, as you can tell, I'm a Brit. But I've lived in New York for uh, over 30 plus years and came over with a company called Zomba slash Jive Records just for a year, many, many years ago, my wife and I. And Jive Records came over with Billy Ocean and Flock of Seagulls, found rap, went into Tribe Called Quest all the way through Britney Spears and Justin and Backstreet Boys, Pink, Usher. I mean, lots and lots of different ones. And that journey was an amazing journey. And I made lots of connections in the entertainment world through that. And so it also informed me about the power of music in my particular case, although it's much broader now, um, 
to really affect social change. And I, I got here in 85 and my first, I think it was just the first month I went to Live Aid in, uh, in Philadelphia, which was the Geldof uh, folks, which raised a lot of money for the Ethiopian crisis at the time. And then we did uh, other things through my musical career that related to the power of music to, for, for social change. Stop the Violence was one we did with BDP, an artist, and Ankalia colleague, about the violence between the rap community. So I think that informed me as I set up my company, Entertain Impact, 18 years ago nearly. Uh, and what we do there is we utilize the power of popular culture for social change with um, influencers engaging in or we create marketing and advocacy campaigns for nonprofits, foundations, and purpose-led businesses with the aim of raising awareness, support, funds, inspiring people to act, and, and to drive programs. And, and as I said earlier, the, the reason I wrote this book, Good Influence, is because I want to really show people in very, as you said, kind of bite-sized chunks that are easily digestible that anyone can do this if you have the confidence to do it, to get started, there's a, a Chinese philosopher, Lao Tzu, who says, you know, the journey of a thousand miles starts with one step. Granted that, but you still need us to be the GPS that gets you to the, to the end of the journey. And that's what this book is designed to do. So um, what we're basically doing and I, in the book, and I tell this through various stories and case studies, is giving you the power, the knowledge, the confidence to be able to do it. And I'll give you kind of a bigger example then I'll give you kind of some, some other ones. So one that we did a little while ago was with the uh, National Trust. There's an American version of that. And within there, there's a thing called the African-American Cultural Heritage Fund. And it was aimed at preserving Nina Simone, the singer's childhood home in Tryon, North Carolina. And the reason for doing that was not just to preserve it as a cultural center and to honor a great artist. It was to talk about black history and preservation, which wasn't discussed. And so there, what we did is we looked at and I think research is very important here, and I'll talk about that a bit later. We looked at which artists had recorded her songs or who admired her civil rights. She was very involved in the civil rights movement. And so out of that, we then did the research. We knew who was connected. And I would just give this caveat because I sometimes forget to do it. None of the people that we work with, the influencers, get paid. They do it because there is a genuine, authentic, credible passion for the particular ask that we make and so we went out to different folk and um, people such as cat stevens john legend misty copeland who's a who's a principal of the ballet here and many many others um, engaged with us and this was an existing campaign that the fund had already done uh, which was an indiegogo campaign you know, a kickstarter campaign which raised i think about seventy thousand dollars which was twice what it was the aim of raising it. And so it was a pretty easy one. You had an existing campaign and you slotted in these influencers. Um, I would say 90% of the influencers that we went out to, we didn't know. It was an absolute cold ass. So I think that's important because people sometimes think, because I come out of the entertainment business and I still work in that business. I still do some movie music, like Green Book and that kind of thing. I oversee it on behalf of the studio uh, and involved in some Black Run and Black um, owned companies in the music business. They think, oh, it's a special thing, an insider thing. It's not. I didn't know any of them, although we had worked with John Legend before. And so the point I'm trying to make here is anyone can do it. And I'll give you a couple of other examples. And uh, example one 
and two, show you don't need a big superstar because a lot of people say to us, oh, I can't do it. I'll never get somebody. And the answer is you'll always get somebody. And the negative that I hear is you need an A-lister or you don't have the money. It isn't money. It isn't A-lister. It's just doing the research, finding the person who's really passionate for your cause. And that's very doable on the internet. It's not like a special research area that you need to have. So the ones that I'd like to give are in terms of the A-lister versus a smaller influencer. And and the frame for this is um, that the influencer effects, which is the power of these folk to influence people in their local community or internationally, depending on their size, has a huge impact because Gen Z and millennials, and this is research from uh, Harvard, from McKinsey's, from the Manchester Business School, that show 70% of them want to be with companies that are good or organizations that do good and they will buy from organizations that do good and that you can reach these desired audiences through um, influences much more than you can through advertising and i think for 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 charities or nonprofits, as we call them in the us um, or social action organizations to get to those desired audiences the younger ones is very, very, very desirable and key because in the US, the average age of a donor is 64 and that is not good. You want an average age to be much, much lower. So let me go back to the, the influencers. We did something for Alima. Alima is an international medical organization, a bit like Doctors Without Frontiers, Medicine Sur Frontier, Doctors Without Borders. And there we use doctors. They may only have had 10,000 followers, but they were the exact right 10,000 followers that we had. So we had about eight or nine doctors from around the country because it was a US-based campaign. And the impact was it was great. We got doubled the followers on social media for this organization, which was trying to raise awareness. And we got 20,000 people to go to the donor page where they'd usually get two or 3,000. So it was a very significant difference. And then the one I particularly like, which I had nothing to do with, so this just shows anyone can do it. Linda Smith has a school in Minneapolis, the Twin Cities, it's an Arthur Murray dance school. I don't know if you have him in the UK, but it's where you go to learn to dance. It's a big franchise. Her husband, unfortunately, passed away with cancer. And she started dancing with the Twin Cities. So I, you know, the dance shows are very big. And she got local celebs over several years, different celebs each year. It might be a contestant who was on uh, America's Got Talent. or So you think you can dance or Strictly Dancing or whichever the one is. And they've raised $4 million over that eight years towards cancer research. Local community, one person who really just went out and did it. And the doing it is, is, is really key. You've got to start, but it's very, very possible. And I can give lots of examples of people from small organizations, medium-sized, who have achieved that. And their organization has grown. And, it, and they've done more good in the world. Or, you know, you can use it for business, of course, and you can grow your business. But I think for fundraisers in particular, that nexus between marketing, fundraising, and programs is a very important one to, to preserve and to, and to integrate. And I think influencers can do just that. Yeah. So thank you for those examples. And one thing that came across really persuasively in the book is just reassuring us that it doesn't have to be the A-lister. In fact, often it might be better if it's not. Uh, you've got a methodology of, of categorizing levels of influencer, which I found really reassuring. And you showed that actually for, to achieve this outcome for this kind of cause, actually, 
you might want a, what you call a, a nano influencer or a micro influencer yeah. because, for instance, in their niche to their community, in brackets, possibly the one that your charity is trying to influence, they might be more persuasive than the Hollywood superstar. So just those examples that reassured us that let's get outcome focused. What are we actually trying to achieve through our campaign? And then have a faith that there are some people, even if not super famous, that who are well followed, well respected and are influential. That could be actually a better way and in feel like a more you know, ri- risk free and less luck requiring way of just following the steps, reach those people who have that audience and who care about this cause. There's several examples you gave in the book that reassured me about that. It may be at this point consistent with what I've just said is just your your main methodology, which your company has used all this time and that you lay out nice and clearly in the book what that process is. Maybe share what the, the dream methodology is, and then we'll pull out a couple of those steps that I think might be especially helpful for people. It's delighted to do that, but I just want to go back to the, the influencer that you need. My definition of an influencer is a public figure that is culturally appropriate for the audience and stakeholders. So, for example, when we did Rotary's campaign for polio worldwide, which sounds like a very grandiose campaign because India, Africa, we had people, big influencers, of course, like um, Itzhak Bowman or Jane Goodall, who were polio survivors. But we had a local singer in one of the African countries. We had a e-man to issue a fatwa. It's really local community-based. And even in Georgia, the state in the U.S., where we've been doing a lot of work on voter turnout because there's a whole thing there going on. We went county by county. There's 105 counties and the influencer was the local barber. So it could be somebody who's got under a thousand followers, but the local barber, a fashion stylist, the preacher, it doesn't have to be, you know, um, Julia Roberts. It doesn't hurt. But there we had Kerry Washington as well, which gave us a general view. And then we went very detailed. So local is good. Local is definitely good. So let me come to the methodology. This is a methodology that's been created through our work at Entertain Impact, over 100 campaigns for anyone from Rotary and the World Health Organization to very local community organizations, uh, youth centers in, in the Bronx, for example. And we call it the dream method. It's been refined and we've, we've improved it. So it's not something that I kind of made up to write the book. It was more the book came out of the 17 years of doing what I'm doing and the 20 years before that of the music side and the film side. And it's called the dream method. So let me break down what that means. Dream is design your action plan, because unless you have a roadmap, you do not know where you're going. And so it's very important to visualize that. And what are your goals, your KPIs, the budget, the calendar, very practical and strategic stuff. You'll find in the book how to do that always through the lens of how our influences involved. So that's the first part of it. The second part of it is research, which is fundamental because if you can find somebody who's authentic, credible, and connected to your campaign, you can then you can then rely on them to, to be involved, not just on a one and done, but on a long-term basis. But let's take Usha, the, the music artist. Uh, um, Usha's son, uh, unfortunately, has type 1 diabetes. I know that if we are doing a campaign, which we did for the uh, American Diabetes Association, I can go to Usher because it'll resonate. If I go to him and talk about something to do with robotics and science, 
not that he's not interested, he's very cutting edge. He is not that person who's going to be focused on that because you don't want to be too thinly spread. So research is really, really important. And there's also reputational issues. You know, want to make sure that they're connected to the right causes and they've not done anything really bad that you wouldn't want to have your stakeholders be embarrassed about. The third one is to educate and to engage. And so that's the, how do you go out once you've identified the influencer? And I'm going to put an S at the end of influencer because I think it's much better to have several uh, for different reasons that I'll, get, that I'll get into with the ask, which we'll discuss a little bit in more detail. So, so the, how to get find the people, how to make your ask better than the 20 that they got that day. How do you stand out from the pack? You know, cut through the clutter, whichever cliche you want to use. And then the, the, the A in dream is activations. Because you've got your influencer, but the public, they don't care. Now they're going to look at the tip of the iceberg, which is what did you do to gain their attention, to gain their support, to gain their financial backing? And it's not just a public thing. It might be that you're looking to a foundation to fund. You're looking to government to fund it. So it depends, who, again, who your audience is that you're targeting. And then the last one is measurement. I want to know for my clients and for me, because this is why I'm doing it, that I move the needle. And sometimes you move the needle. And if you don't, you learn from it so that you can do better next time. But you need to measure. And measurement for me is between the ROI, because all nonprofits need money to sustain. And so the chief financial officer you have to satisfy them as much as you have to satisfy the marketing person that this is going to make a difference. Our ROI is initially about between eight to one and 12 to one. And much more if you take into account, we don't have influencers get paid. And then we have the SROI, which is the social return investment, why we're really doing it. So if we facilitate an action that results in, in say, less homelessness, that helps the tax base, that helps people have finances, that helps... Happiness, you know, happiness is also a good thing. You can't measure everything, but having people have a better life is important. And the one thing I would say, because I, I caught myself when I was saying that last sentence was, don't take credit for what you can't show. So, for example, we're involved in the Rotary Polio campaign for many, for many years we were involved when Africa and India both went polio free. We can certainly say we with our 80 different ambassadors from all around the world, helped raise money, helped engage the public, helped with ministers get engaged on behalf of governments. But when it comes to India going polio-free, we are a grain of sand on the beach. There are many organizations and many people, especially the brave health workers who go vaccinate people and often get hurt in the process, who are far more important than we. So don't overstate what you did because you lose credibility. So that's the dream method. And in the book, Good Influence, you will find real stories, case studies, and examples. And I would also mention there is a website which will have lots of resources. So there will be a template that you can download for free. Um, there, there will be the ask letter. There will be a research grid that you can look at with examples. Because the whole reason I wrote this book is to get this information out because we've done 100 campaigns in 80 years. I want people to do thousands and thousands of campaigns using influence because I know it's good for them and will result in better organizational growth and of their ability to, to do good in the world. And that includes business as well. Hi, it's Rob. And I wanted to quickly let you know about our two flagship programs designed to help you grow high value fundraising results. That's Major Gifts Mastery and Corporate Partnerships Mastery 
which both start again in early May 2023. These programs help you make progress through a combination of masterclasses and individual coaching support. To give you a sense of the impact they can have, I've found it's most interesting to hear from people who've done the programs. So here's a brief clip from Grace Cannings, who you may remember from episode 112, and who recently completed Major Gifts Mastery. In this clip, she's talking about how the program helped not only her skills, but also her confidence. I think going back to being kind of more confident, I'd say that it's helped me become more calm in meetings with donors. And I know, I think it was maybe a couple of weeks after our first session, I was in a meeting with a donor and managed to secure a 25K gift from them which was incredible. And it was the first meeting I'd actually run by myself without anybody else from my team being there. So it felt like a really big win for me. And then also alongside that, we've had more people renewing their donations and gifts. And I think just generally the level of communication that I've been able to give with people has been great. Yeah, I just implore anybody to go on this course. It's been fantastic. If you'd like to find out more about either of these two programs, go to brightspotfundraising.co.uk forward slash services. For now, let's get back to the influencer effect, as I asked Paul for advice on how on earth we can make contact with an important influencer from scratch when we don't have their contact details and we don't know where to start. Could you talk us through some of the things that you would do when you don't know that target influencer to increase your chances of getting through to them? Sure, I'd be happy, happy to do that. And it's, 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 it's do it very doable. So let's assume that you've got an action plan and you know where you're going and what you want to achieve and who your target audiences are. You've done your research, which is really important. And you've got, say, 50 influencers because you never want one influencer because of reputational issues or availability. And you know who those are. Our, our ratio of asks to success is about one. It depends what it is. A social media post is much more doable than doing a trip, you know, from the New, New York area to say Nigeria to go visit some, something. But normally it's about one to eight. However, no is not a bad thing either, or, because let's assume you go out to do um, 40 people and they're not their agents. Agents are there for money, which I totally understand, but they're not there necessarily to help you get a, an influencer to your nonprofit project. So you go mainly, you go and make the ask to the person themselves, their personal assistant, their manager, or their PR person. Many of those you can just go on the internet and find, to be honest. And in the book and in the goodinfluencerbook.com website, there are lists of places you can get this information. So in the book, there's a lot of what I call little boxes with pro tips. Hey, try this, or this software works. And we'll update that on the site. So... Assuming you've got a, a, a number of influencers that you like and you've reached out to say maybe 40 of them, which means you've reached out probably to 100 people, those 100 people know about your organization. That is spreading out. That is giving or laying the groundwork for future asks. And you're going to get three categories that come back. Um, yes. And then it's like, yeah. And then no. And it's this. But it could be a no that says no, because we're busy, we're in the middle of filming, please come back to us in September, if you asked in May, for example. And then the other one could be you never hear, which is always the ambiguous one, a bit tricky. What we do is, in the ask, we first of all, put together a letter that's going to be engaging. It's an email, it's short, um, 
the subject line is really important. It's kind of a little executive summary. Save the children, Oxfam, whichever one you want to do, whichever is your, your particular organization, invite X, whoever that is, to, to, to come on board their campaign for whatever. And then it's a little, you know, we are this. This is what we want when we want it. Here's a link. Thank you. It's really short because everybody is really busy. Irrespective of what you do, you're getting bombarded. Influencers are getting really many of these a month, a week, or a day, depending on their levels. And so it's got to be something that gets directly to them. And you're not trying to have the whole conversation. You're trying to get them interested. Very, very short ask letter. The contacts you can find, there's things like Hunter.io, which gives you email names. You know, you put in the name. There's IMDB, which is a database for actors. All of this is in the book. You'll be able to find those things. There's even um, some websites that are subscription that will tell you contacts. Some of those are complete ripoffs, and you shouldn't go for them, but some of them are not. And again, in the book, you'll, you'll see the ones that are and are not. But you can, you can do it cheaply. It depends also how many of these you're going to do a year. If you're a bigger organization, you're going to do 10, 10 campaigns a year. Actually, probably 10 is even a lot for anyone, but say four, then you might want to subscribe to one of these for, you know, 30 pounds a month or something. And if it's one or two, you'll do a bit more legwork. So then you've got your list. You've got a great ask letter that's really engaging. Sometimes you'll do a link with a social media kit if you want them to post that'll have video in it. We've found that video is, is, is very effective in engaging people, especially Gen Z and millennials. But again, it depends also who you're looking for. If you're looking for baby boomers, maybe you're better off to do Facebook instead of Instagram. It just depends on who your audience, but I'm sure the people who are listening to this know a lot, of, a lot about that. So you've got the ask, you reach out and, you, oh, great, we got these out. And maybe use a, a program to help you get out those 40, like MailChimp we use over here. But each one must look as if it's directed especially to that, that person. Don't make it generic. The other thing is, if you haven't got anyone, you say we're reaching out to ABC because there's always comfort in numbers. So, so, and if you have got someone say, hey, we're so happy that so-and-so has come on board, please join. You know, there's those kind of chicken and egg situations. Right. So just so got- uh, pause on that bit. It's miles more likely to work and to reassure the person receiving it. If you've already got someone who's put their name to the campaign and they are likely to be known to the person you're emailing, you mentioned the person who's already part of it. And then that'll reassure through the social proof. And if you don't yet have anyone, you say, we are reaching out to these people and again it's achieves the same effect so that they'll feel there's a safety in numbers there's just a reassurance that people like me are doing this yeah exactly there's a credibility to it i don't think it's essential i think it's helpful i think if you don't have that it's still going to get responses and and all that kind of stuff but then you won't hear for a while because the pr person that you went to is really busy and their client this actor this musician this business person this icon whoever whoever your, your your influencer is is on family holiday they're doing a shoot we did a campaign for the american dental association called give kids a smile for people that didn't have really the ability to pay for a dentist and in the states it's not you know um government supported which much to my chagrin and so we wanted to use albert pujols albert pujols for those that don't know is a, a baseball player who's the equivalent i guess of wayne rooney or david beck i mean he is a significant well-known hall of famer he was a lovely man and, and was playing for St. Louis at the time. His team were in the playoffs, which is like, you know, this knockout stage like the FA Cup. And so we had to wait. 
And when they unfortunately got knocked out, uh, we then went down and did this, uh, this PSA, which was very successful, and he was fantastic. So the reasons you don't hear sometimes are to do with life. But do not ever do what I call the therapy email, which is we send something out saying, I'm so disappointed. Never write it if you want, tear it up, throw away, deep breath, go to the gym, meditate, whatever you need to do. And then just send a polite follow up. And then after a while, maybe you make a phone call, but never make an assumption that they're ignoring you or whatever. Yes. Um, and part of your model, obviously, is I mean, it's so obvious in a way, but we we have to really be thoughtful and take seriously the R of dream. In the researching phase, we won't necessarily find everything else about what might be making someone free or available or busy. There may be clues with a tiny bit of thought and research and putting yourself in the shoes of that actor or that sports star as to whether this is likely to be a busier time of the year for them or a relatively less busy time. And that could make all the difference, A, to the phrasing you put in the email if it now is to be sent at all, or indeed for you to just understand when the best time to send it would be. Yeah, I mean, we're doing this broadcast when today Manchester City are playing Arsenal, I think. I'm not going to go to Kevin De Bruyne and ask him today to do something. I'm going to wait to the off-season and say, would you mind doing something? Now, Kevin De Bruyne, for example, I think was in foster care. And so that would be something that he would relate to and that you might ask him to support uh, a charitable effort in that regard. But I wouldn't do it until the off-season. So, yes, I think it's really important to know what's going on in the world. Thank you, Paul. And I guess we're coming to the end of our time for this episode. Maybe we'll arrange to do another episode because there's so much more good stuff in the book. But before we finish today, on this subject of increasing our chances of getting through to an influencer and them saying yes, is there any other idea you've had that you we haven't talked about yet that might be worth sharing? I just supplement my earlier answer by saying, don't ask too much. Don't make it too confusing. So if you go in and ask for 17 things, I don't know about you, but my eyes glaze over if I get one of those emails. Ask for one or two. That would be the big, big, big thing. That to me is really important. And then you might try A-B testing to two different emails and see which one works better for you. But I do think if you do research, that is really the key. The better the research, the more accurate you're going to get. And I can give you an example on that where we were doing that American Diabetes Dance Dare campaign where you danced, you dared three people, and then you donated. And we went out to Halle Berry, who, who, who was an Oscar winner, had type 1 diabetes. And what was um, incorrect there in our outreach was basically that her way of treating herself was not in line with the American Diabetes protocols. So she wasn't the right match. So I think that research is really important to do. We got loads of people like Mark Cuban and Shaquille O'Neal and Asher, who I mentioned earlier. And then we got thousands of regular people like us who have some relationship to, to diabetes. So I would say have an action plan, do your research. And then the third thing, make a really short ask with one or two things because you're going fishing. We've got people, I, I give an example, somebody I really admire who's a friend, Archie Punjabi, who, who was in Bendit like Beckham and the good wife in America. And is just a wonderful person. When we reached out to Archie with an ask, it was for one small thing. And this is for the Rotary Polio campaign. And she grew up in the UK, but also spent time in India. And over the years, she has supported this campaign in, in depth by being a keynote speaker at the Rotary Convention, going to India to the polio hospital in St. Stephen's, 
which I think is in Delhi, very cool. And so you're getting, it's the start of a conversation. It's not meant to be the entire relationship, but once you start, add to it, and then you could, then, then you could, then you can have a deep long-term relationship. Yeah. That's such wise advice, isn't it? it set the, the bar relatively low. So it's really easy, as easy as possible for someone to say yes, and then do that well and build from there. Paul, so many great tips already in this episode. We need to finish for today, but maybe we could do another episode because we've barely had a chance to go into more depth, for instance, on the measurement and or the activations, which is a fascinating thing of how one can be creative in a structured, just sensible way. There's ways of creating these activations. Maybe we could talk about that, for example, next time. But for now, Paul, thank you so much for bringing to life ideas from this book and best of luck with the book as well. Thank you. I look forward to to speaking again. Well, I hope you found our discussion helpful. If so, do check out Paul's book, Good Influence, which I believe is available from Amazon from the 14th of February, 2023. In the meantime, you can find a full transcript of our chat in the podcast section of my website, which is brightspotfundraising.co.uk. And if you've not already subscribed to the Fundraising Brightspot show, please do that now so that you don't miss out on any of the episodes we've got coming up. And this will immediately get you access to many more helpful episodes on a broad range of fundraising topics in the back catalogue. Now, if you're a corporate or a major donor fundraiser, and you're determined to lift your results this year, we're now accepting bookings for our next Corporate Mastery Programme and Major Gifts Mastery Programme, which start again in May 2023. And if you want to find a little bit more about how they work and the difference they can make, then do check out the information on our website, which is brightspotfundraising.co.uk forward slash services. If you enjoyed today's episode, then I would really appreciate it if you could take a moment to share it on with your colleagues or on social media so that we can spread the word and help as many charities as we can in this turbulent year. Thank you very much for your help. Paul and I would love to hear what you think about the episode. You can get in touch or tag us both on LinkedIn and on Twitter, Paul is at PaulKatzNYC and Paul's surname is spelled K-A-T-Z and my Twitter name is at Woods underscore Rob. Paul's website is paulmcats.com. Thank you so much for listening today. Best of luck with your fundraising and your influencing. And I look forward to sharing more bright spot ideas and examples with you very soon. Mm-hmm.